This is the Darren Paltrowcast with Darren Paltrowitz. I've been interviewing musicians, comedians, and all sorts of entertainers for almost 20 years. Joan Rivers, Flavor Flav, Paris Hilton, members of Guns N' Roses and the Eagles, and countless others. This show is about artists and why they do what they do. Thanks for downloading the Paltrowcast with Darren Paltrowitz. On this episode of the Paltrowcast, I spoke with three entertainers who are all decades into successful careers as multifaceted performers. Dennis Lixon from the band Refused, Michael Monroe, and Chris Jericho. First up is my chat with Dennis Lixon. Dennis has been the frontman of a lot of different bands and studio projects, very notably Refused, The International Noise Conspiracy, Fake Names, and Invasion. He's put out three albums within the last year alone. The latest album from Dennis and Refused is War Music, which was released back in mid-October. We spoke about War Music and plenty more within our November 2019 phone conversation. Hope you enjoy. Hi, Dennis. It's Darren. Your interview. Still a good time for you? It is a great time for me. (laughs) Well, I appreciate your time. You just put out a new album with Refused. How long was that in the works for? From the initial uh, writing of songs until it was out is over two two years actually i mean we haven't been working every day for two years but uh, but the process had been a little bit more than two years yeah and economy of death was premiered by spin magazine here in the united states was that an exciting thing for you you know did you know spin magazine very well growing up uh yeah yeah of course i mean i also just knowing spin from you know, when when I got into music and, you know, checking that out. So, yeah, it's cool. I mean, it's we were actually talking about this the other day in the band because when you played music for a long time, a lot of the stuff that you as a kid found super exciting just just becomes a part of what you do in, in not a great way, actually. It's like, you know, we were playing like a, a Kerrang, you know, like the, the music magazine Kerrang. We played one of their sessions. And then I was like, it struck me. Like, I remember like when I was a kid, if the Swedish band ever made it to Kerrang, it was like super exciting. And, and you take stuff for granted after a while, just because, you know, you get, it's just a part of your life. But yeah, I mean, it's cool. It's cool that, uh, that spins take, takes an interest in what we're doing, you know? A lot of people were really surprised when Refuse came back, you know, seven, eight years ago, whatever it was. Is the band here to yeah. stay? Do you foresee doing it for a long time to come, but at a slower pace? Uh, yes, that, that's that's probably that's probably correct. I mean, it, it's it's one of those interesting things because when we were a band in the '90s, we did so much in such a short period of time. It was seven years we were a band, and we already been together back together for seven years. But as you said, like when when the pace is way slower. I mean, we have different lives. We have uh, other projects and families and so on and so forth. So, I, but I hope the refused is you know i mean as i said we already done it for seven years already so i hope we can do another seven years that'd be great (laughs) right now i had the pleasure of seeing you open for faith no more at the madison square garden theater in new york and i know it wasn't playing the garden but it was still you know getting to play around madison square garden which must have been thrilling and it's interesting to me that a band that sounds like refused gets to play these huge venues just being yourselves so what i want to know is 
when you started to realize we don't have to do anything commercial, we can just be ourselves and, you know, make a living and be respected? Well, I, it's interesting because the, the art of the band is so different from most bands. Um, we were an underground punk and hardcore band for all of the 90s, touring, playing squats and youth centers. And I mean, if we had 300 people at a show, we're like, oh, that's a big show tonight, you know? And uh, then we broke up. I mean, that's what it was. Like, we put out Shape of Punk to Come. We broke up. That record, and especially like a song like New Noise, just took off. And it, it became its own entity. And it's kind of like, uh, you know, when bands talk about their success story, we had that success story, but no one in the band was on board for it, which is <laughs> insanely interesting. So when we got back together in 2012, the band that played their last show in 1998 at a basement in Harrisonburg, Virginia, was now one of the headliners at Coachella. And that journey happened without, without us being there. So, I mean, when we got to bed, back together, we knew that, I mean, we, we struck a chord somehow and, and we made a record that resonated with a lot of people. And then we were just like, let's just go out and do that. Let's just go out and play these songs and be the band that we were and, and that we are now. And then, and we just continue with that, which I think it's an interesting journey to make because as you said, a lot of times people like they aim for something and then they might, oh, they might have a hit or something, but we didn't aim for anything. I mean, we were just, as I said, we were an underground punk hardcore band from Europe, you know, and then here we are and, and we, we can play this really aggressive, violent type of music and, and people like it. <laughs> it must've been surreal four or five years after you broke up when you heard Crazy Town covering New Noise. Was that the first time you'd ever heard a Refuse song covered before? Um, yeah, in that, in that way, for sure. I mean, I, I mean, I remember like already in the 90s because, you know, we, we, as we progressed, like we played a show and some, some young kids, they played one of our old songs that we never played live. So, I mean, but yeah, it was the first time they're like a big commercial kind of, I don't know what they were, kind of pop <laughs> band, you know, where they're doing like a weird version of New Noise. And you're like, yeah, it was insanely surreal. And, it, and, it, and it's funny because it's, I am of the opinion that art is, is free, you know, like you, you reach into a, a piece of art and you bring with you whatever resonates with you, you know, that I think that's, that's the beauty of art. I mean, you can't decide what people are going to, on a, going to love about what you do, but seeing crazy town, it was like, it was like a misunderstanding of everything that we were as a band. <laughs> it's quite weird. I'm like, I'm like, Oh shit, you, you, nothing of what the essence of refuse is. Did you pick up on? Uh, but you know, that it's, it's also, I mean, it, it is, um, it's weirdly flattering that people uh, took to, I mean, especially that song, you know, is that, that people took to in a way that, I mean, you know, when I was, when I was 14, one of my favorite bands were Anthrax. And then, you know, 25 years later, Anthrax records one of my songs as a bonus track for one of their records. And I'm just like, that's, you know, that's insane. <laughs> right. That's more of a flattering cover. Uh, I'd imagine. And I'm, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, that's true. <laughs> I'm probably in the minority of being fans of the Refused who, f 
first knew about you through International Noise Conspiracy, who had a lot of international success, you know, in the States, in Europe, kind of everywhere. But the interesting thing about you is those are only two of your many, many bands. Invasion is still active, I believe. Fake Names is active. And you have one of the most comprehensive discographies I've ever seen. And so much of it is disconnected. Do you write music every single day? Uh, no, no, but you get that sense because I'm, I'm, I'm I'm quite active. And I mean, I've been the guy, you know, like every band has the guy that makes shit happen. And I'm that guy, you know, for a long time, I wasn't the best singer. I wasn't even the best songwriter or anything, but I was the guy that made shit happen. And I always been that guy. So whenever I'm in a band, we make stuff happen, you know? So, and, and the cool thing is with, with a lot of these bands, um, like Refused and like Invasion, we all write songs, you know, we all write music. And I mean, uh, I mean, for Refused, Chris and David writes, you know, most of the songs and the same thing for Invasion. So, I mean, I'm lucky enough to be surrounded by people that makes my life very easy. Uh, a lot of times, Chris and David, they'll come with like a skeleton song and be like, oh, what do you think about this? And I'm like, oh, it sounds great. And then you do vocals and then together you piece everything together. And it's the same thing with Invasion our drummer comes with like a a skeleton demo and I'm like, Oh, that's great. Let's switch it around and I'll do vocals. So, but I mean, I I think about music every day and I'm thinking about like new musical projects the whole time, but sometimes you have to, you know, like you have to pump the brakes a little bit and be like, okay, I get three, I get three active projects right now. That's, that's, you know, that's good and good and well for now. <laughs> are you also the guy? Because you said you're the person who makes everything happen. Are you the person that's also calling management and calling the record company so that you're not only the creative force but you're the business force too? Yes, to to a large extent, I am also that guy. I mean, that is what the guy that makes stuff happen. You know, that's that's a huge part of being the guy that makes stuff happen. Like you know, making sure the record comes out and you know, being being that type of guy. So yes, I do a lot of that uh, that type of work. That's not very. Um, it's not very sexy, but <laughs> it needs to happen, you know? Well, in turn, the edge of that is that sometimes that's the guy that the record label kind of doesn't like because he's he's questioning things. Did you, being that strong-willed, encounter a lot of problems over the years because you knew a lot of the time better than what the label did? Mm, a couple of times, of course, you know, but most of the times, I mean, I, I think one, one of my one of my big things is that you surround yourself with people that you like and you trust. I mean, uh, we, we actually have a new management now with refused since a year back, but before that I had the same manager for 20 years. And I mean, he knew, I mean, he could read my mind. He knew exactly when there was going to be trouble and when things are going to run smoothly. But I mean, if, if you, if you have a strong vision of what you are and what you represent and, and, and the music you want to create, yeah, of course it's going to clash because, at the end of the day, no matter how good record companies are, and I've, I've been on some really great record companies, I've been on some really bad record companies, their idea of why you create music is usually very different to your idea of why you create music. And sometimes that does clash, yeah. So given that you're doing all this, and it's looking like you're doing that for the near future, is there anything outside of music that you one day see yourself doing? Like, for example... You're a very personal guy. You're a very funny guy. Do you see yourself as being like a talk show host or a podcaster at any point? Um, possibly. But I mean, it is one of those things where, as you said, like right now, this is 
this is so much a part of everything that I do. I mean, as I have a three actor, I mean, the crazy thing is last year, um, with or this year, actually for the, for, for the last year and a half, I've recorded three full length albums, which is, that's a lot. I mean, so there's a lot of ideas of stuff that I want to do that I kind of have to put on hold because there is a fake names record coming out next year. There's an invasion record coming out next year. There's a refuse record come out a month ago. So I mean, it's, you have to sort of focus on that. And then I do have a lot of other ideas of, of stuff that I want to do. But one thing that I am doing, and this is not related to the culture and the arts is that I, uh, I'm a licensed football coach and I coach a fourth division team in my hometown. Wow. Uh, at what age level? Yeah. Regular adults there? Yeah, yeah, senior senior team. I was in the team for eight. I played in the team for eight years, and I blew up my knee a year ago. And I realized that uh, I could still kind of play, but then I realized if I hurt myself again, it might actually jeopardize my my real uh, profession, which is being a musician. <laughs> so I had to step down from playing football, which was really sad. But then I was like, well, I can still I can coach the team. We never had a proper coach, so I went to. Uh, a course and now I'm, uh, I have a you know I'm a legitimized uh, football coach soccer as as we call it are you I mean I guess you might call it football <laughs> we we know when we speak to Europeans that we have to call it football exactly. and you yeah, know exactly. here in New York it's yeah. soccer uh, that's really yeah. really interesting I I didn't know about that facet yeah. of your career and what's the name of this team yeah. that uh people can check out it's called Heidens Beko uh yeah <laughs> okay, I, I'm, I'm gonna look yeah, into we, that. Yeah, so, so last, well, this season, I mean, the season ended uh, a couple of months ago. This season, I've been coaching the team. I've been helping out coaching, and we were we were in the fifth division, but we were undefeated. And uh, next year, we're gonna play in the fourth division. So yeah, it's it's quite interesting. <laughs> right. Wow, you gave me so much uh, to work with here. So I'm gonna ask that closer. <laughs> and the closing question is, uh, Dennis, any last words for the kids? Well. Um, I don't know. And the kids, they, I think the kids are right. They they know what they're going to do with their lives, but don't be too fucking hard on yourself. Cause uh, that, that, that always, that's always a problem. Yeah. Next up is my interview with Michael Monroe. The majority of rock fans first learned about Michael from his work with Hanoi rocks, a band, which definitely inspired the likes of guns and roses, skid row poison and countless other hard rock bands. Michael's latest solo album is One Man Gang, which was released back in mid-October. Michael and I spoke by phone in September, prior to the release of One Man Gang. Besides talking about his new album, we discuss his future touring plans, his history with punk icons Johnny Thunders and Stiv Bavers from the Dead Boys, and a band that we both love, Cheap Trick. Yes, hi Michael, how's it going there today? Darren, hi. It's I'm great to. Good. How are you doing? I am doing great. Really great to connect with you. And I want to ask you a few questions about One Man Gang first, if that's okay. Yeah, sure. That's okay. Great. Okay. So this new album, I believe you've had it recorded for almost a year now that it's been finished for that long. How long had you spent actually writing the album? Everybody writes in the band except Carl, the drummer, doesn't write much, but. Uh... Sammy has some cool riffs, and especially Rich Jones and Steve Conte are great writers too. And uh, so we have some ideas. Some, some we wrote to get write together, and some we write by ourselves. And uh, we had 18 songs that we recorded for the album, and we chose 12 for the record. And 
and the rest of them. There's a couple, a couple of bonus tracks for Japan and uh, one bonus track for Europe, I guess, but it hasn't been released yet. Maybe, I don't know, it's going to be in the vinyl version or what, but, uh, the, uh, uh, the other ones was too good to be bonus tracks. We're saving for the next album. And we write all the time, so I can't say an exact time period of, uh, of the writing, but uh, yeah, over the past couple of years. Yeah. Well, obviously, Last Train to Tokyo is a hell of a standout track from the album. It's very catchy, and it has a very fun music video. And it's very intriguing to me that you made the album, and then you toured Japan and made the video. Did you know all along when you were touring Japan that you were going to be making a video during it, or was it just kind of an impromptu thing? We, wanted, we were planning to make a video for uh, Last Night to Tokyo in Japan, as we knew we were going to play the Summer Sonic Festival there. Uh, so... Uh, we were planning that, but we were, it was really a last minute thing because we were trying to find out if we could use footage from, you know, from the concerts or, so then we, we decided to do this club day gig, uh, before the festival shows, uh, without advertising ourselves. There was a band called, uh, Electric Eel Shock that, that were, uh, advertising this club gig that, uh, part of the video shot at where that it was the advertisers, their gig plus special guests. And there was like a room that well, you could fit about 150 people in the room. There were about 300. It was just a uh, word of mouth that uh, we got the people in there. And that's, that's where we would play the song a couple of times. And then we played a live set for the, for the audience there. And we, we just decided to film as much as possible. Well, we we hired one guy to film with, uh, you know, with the with professional cameras and stuff to film that club club gig, and uh, us when we finished uh, that gig uh, midnight, we went to Shinjuku area where they had the neon lights and stuff, and we did uh, we shot the stuff on the streets where where you know where I'm singing the song. I'm with the guys when we're, we're you know singing to the song, and uh, then we filmed like this the stuff where I'm sitting on a train, Sammy Alpha filmed that on a bullet train on the way from Tokyo on the way to Osaka because the summer sonic gigs are they happen in Osaka and Tokyo at this time the Tokyo show was first and then uh, then Osaka after that so on the train the stuff on the train was shot by Sammy Alpha with me <laughs> I had a speaker in my, in my pocket and I was miming to the song quietly because you've got to be quiet on a bullet train you know people are you know got to be really quiet uh, considered uh for on the train in Japan there especially so it was funny because I was just kind of almost whispering the words <laughs> but uh, singing the song anyway so we decided to film as much stuff as we could and then we had this guy Tony Krypton and it was a Finnish editor and he edited and uh, put it together we put it together really quickly you know he had he had he did a rough dra- uh, version of it and then I went over to to his uh, his, uh, his studio and we did it in about, put, added some final pieces and uh, it was done in like three hours. And very quick, because uh, the next day was the deadline. Otherwise, they would have had to push back the release of the single. So uh, it kind of came together like that. And, uh, you know, I'm glad that we managed to do it on, in time. And, and it turned out to be a fun video. That's goodbye, you know, and all that. So that's how it came about. That's how it was done. It was planned, but it was still at the last minute. But we got it done, so I'm happy about that. Yeah, I suppose all that matters is that you got it done and it looks great. And your history with Japan, 
not only goes back to Hanoi Rocks, but you also did that album for Demolition 23 specifically for the Japanese market. Is that your favorite place to tour, or is that tough to say where your favorite place to tour is? That's absolutely one of my favorite places to tour. Actually, maybe my favorite of all all countries, uh, even though not, not to say anything less about other countries, but that's just a special place. Demolition 23 album was actually not only for Japan, it was just, it was for the world, but uh, it was happening uh, in Japan. It had, you know, maybe more attention than anywhere else. It was also released in Europe, but we never got to tour on it. The band broke up before we got to tour on it properly, but it was meant to be for the world. I don't think it ever came out in the States, though, uh, officially. But any in any case, Japan and I have always had a really good relationship, really warm, and uh, I always loved their culture, and their, they always loved me as a as a personality, as a color, colorful kind of cartoon character almost. Sammy Alpha once said he thinks that the Japanese think of me as like a like a kabuki doll because <laughs> of my colorfulness and. I love the kimonos and all that, their culture. And so somehow we've had a really, always had a special relationship with Japan. And uh, I, I do love the people there. They're, the way they're brought up, they're really polite, considerate, and they're for real. And they love rock and roll. They're really, really passionate about rock and roll. And and the, the gigs are outstanding. The audiences are amazing uh, there when we play gigs. And they do appreciate authentic rock and roll and they still have physical products like cds they still sell cds there's one of the last countries in the world that sells cds so <clears throat> it was a tribute to them and uh tribute to japan and tokyo and also also for tribute to great good rock and roll good, good authentic rock and roll and uh, you know since times are changing so much and uh things like cds don't even almost don't even exist in other countries and people just downloading stuff or using Spotify or something like that. And looking at this far into your career, given that you, you've had so many hits and you have so many staples and songs that have been covered by other artists, a lot of artists who are on your level like to do anniversary kind of tours where, hey, we're going to play this whole album in full. Do you have any plans to do anything like that in the future? That would be cool. Um, no concrete plans, but we talk about we've talked about it. We talked about doing uh, uh, maybe the last four albums, including the new one. You know, if we had uh, you know from from Century Overdrive to Halos and Blackout States, and we we were we've been talking about that. That it's possible in the future, but no, not not as of yet. Um, but. It's being discussed amongst the band. Maybe, you never know. Maybe one day. And then I would have loved to have seen Cheap Trick do, do that when they did it. I thought they, they did it in London, didn't they? Do all their records in London once? They did that, then they did a Sgt. Pepper's residency in, in Las Vegas. I didn't realize that you were such a big Cheap Trick fan. I'm a huge Cheap Trick fan. In fact, I played the blues harp with them uh, on Run, Rudolph, Run last December uh, in... In London, on Wembley Arena, when they were opening up for Def Leppard, I got up to jam with them. It was a great feather in my cap. I, I love Cheap Trick. It's one of my absolute favorite bands, for sure. And, and that's why I would have loved to have seen them play all their albums. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I love Cheap Trick. Big influence on me and, and for Hanoi Rocks as well. All of us love And my band, my current band, are big Cheap Trick, Cheap Trick fans. 
And is it true that you were friends with Johnny Thunders? Because I know you have the tie to Sammy, you know, him being in your bands over the years. But was he a friend of yours? Who, Johnny Thunders? He was a dear friend of mine. Actually, we uh, yeah, played on his uh, solo album, Kesara Sara. And uh, I was a big fan before I even knew him. But uh, when I... Steve Baders is also a dear friend of mine. And I, I moved in with Steve when, uh, after Hanoi Rocks broke up and the beginning of 85, I, w- I was taking care of Steve's cat, his cat Ziggy, and uh, then uh, eventually I moved in <laughs> to his flat because uh, I was there so much anyways. And when Steve was on the road in, in the States, Johnny Thunders moved in for a while, so I lived with Johnny. But Johnny lived with me in Steve's flat for, for quite a while this summer, summer of uh, 85, and it was uh, something else <laughs> living with him. But uh, yes, I was I was very close with Johnny, and after moving to New York, he was always a very dear friend, and I guested at his shows, and uh, I saw him a lot, and yeah, he was a dear friend, and I, I miss him, miss him dearly. A- absolutely. One of the unsung rock and roll heroes. Yeah. And uh, speaking of New York, where I'm calling you from, any idea if we'll be seeing you live on an upcoming world tour in New York or anywhere in the States? Well... We, I, we would love to come and play in the states, and it's it's uh, it, we played there before, and New York has always been great, especially in in LA and stuff, and some of the big cities. But uh, it's just that we come to the conclusion that we've done tours there and stuff, and it's always a uh, it's very expensive to get work permits for everyone and to to play play to you know in the rest of the country playing to about hundred or a couple of hundred people and per night at some small clubs. It doesn't really pay off it's, it's like useless you can do that forever and nobody will ever notice so the only way to do the stage really to make a difference would be to open up for some stadium-sized band for for a year or two and then that way people would notice but we came to the conclusion that unfortunately right now it looks like we we don't have plans to play the stage as of yet because uh that reason that we can't really uh apart from the fact that uh Rock and roll ain't that popular there or anywhere, but especially in the States. Isn't it more like hip-hop and country music that's the mainstream over there now? Yeah, to an extent you can argue that, but hopefully we'll... <laughs> I, yeah. I, I, guess, I guess the message is for the people to come to see you in Finland or the UK or Japan in the uh, near future from the New UK, York. well, yeah. We're concentrating in Europe as, as uh, right now, uh, so... I mean, I'm not saying that we we wouldn't play the states ever again. I'm just saying that right now we have no concrete plans to play there as of yet. Because uh, it's really it should uh, should be a situation where where it would make sense and that because you know, like I said, playing playing small clubs, uh, playing in New York is great and L.A. is great and you know some of the big cities, but in the Midwest and you know rest of the country touring in there and getting the whole thing together it's just uh you just lose a lot of money and then you don't get anywhere unless you get on a real real big tour so uh while we're waiting for that then uh let's hope for the best you never know you know but i really do want to play there especially new york is one of my hometowns and i really feel like i miss it and it's always great to play there and the audiences in america really appreciate good authentic rock and roll there's great rock and roll audiences there so it's a shame if we don't get to play there so I'm, we're doing everything we can if it's if it was up to me then i'd be there in a second you know
So uh, any last words for the kids? For the kids. Well, thank you for your patience. Thanks for all your support. All the all the people appreciate my work and our, our this band. Uh, thanks for your support and loyalty, and I hope to see you soon, sooner, sooner than later. Rock like fuck, like, or rock like F, whatever. <laughs> Last but not least is my interview with Chris Jericho, the first ever two-time guest on the Paltrowcast. I spoke with Chris in November 2019, right after the release of Chris Jericho and the Christmas Helves' version of the King's classic Father Christmas. All money raised from that track will be donated to the Juvenile Diabetes Research Fund. Jericho, Chris Jericho, however you want to call Le Champion, is also currently making an album with his band Fozzy. He'll be part of the second annual Chris Jericho's Rock and Wrestling Rager at Sea Cruise, which sold out months ago, and he's also the current world champion of all elite wrestling. All the while, Jericho is a popular podcaster. He's written four best-selling books. He has a website called Web is Jericho. He's involved in a lot of ventures at any given time. Now, the audio at the beginning of our chat is a little spotty, but stick with it and prepare to be blown away by the force of nature that is Chris Jericho. So many things I want to ask you, but I first want to ask about Father Christmas, the new single. And this is a Kinks song originally. And I remember on your cruise last year, you also did You Really Got Me by the Kinks with Corey Taylor. Is the Kinks one of your favorite bands? Um, it's funny. I mean, You Really Got Me, obviously, is, is more of the Van Halen version than the Kinks version. But I think um, I'm a big fan of the Stones and the Beatles. And I think uh, from that era... When you're looking at bands of that stature, I mean, the people throw the Who in there. There's a few others, but people kind of forget how, how good the Kinks were uh, and are all the way up until the '80s. I mean, they were amazing until the brothers basically hate each other enough to make them stop. But I say the Kinks are one of the most underrated bands in rock and roll history for many reasons. You really got me in all day, all the night, Father Christmas and Superman, and uh, you know, there's so many tunes that they have Destroyer. Uh, do it again from 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 the whole era. So, I think that there's probably a lot of songs that people go, "That's the Kinks, really crazy." So, um, yeah, I'm a fan. I'm a huge crazy fanatic. People, like I said, don't realize uh, are actually Kinks teams, uh, which puts them in the very underrated category. Right, and this is notably a solo single from you, a Christmas single that is benefiting a great cause. When did you decide to do this holiday single? Probably six to eight months ago. It's like if I hear wonderful Christmas time uh, once more in my life, I'll probably lose my mind. Uh, <laughs> I thought, well, I really would, would want to do one. I always loved Father Christmas. Uh, and so I talked to the guys in the closet about it, but we're recording a record right now. And they um, they felt that there wouldn't be time to do it properly and this and that, that sort of thing. So I said, well, it's kind of my idea. It's my project, so I'll just do it on my own. So I got a couple guys in Tampa who are great musicians and put together the Christmas Hells. And the idea How far along is the new Fozzie record? Um, it's interesting because the writing process has been in full steam for probably six months or so. Um, and now we're getting to the point where I get sent new demos, finished demos, usually once a week. So I think now we're at the point where it's time to start recording. But it, things have changed. We're on Sony Music now, and the days of you know, recording a record and then releasing a single and, and having them kind of come out together simultaneously are done. Um, now it's more about keeping the momentum going by just releasing singles, which is where uh, No Run came out the way it did. 
so we have um, a lot of great tunes and whether we need to release another single before the album is ready, that's fine too. So it's kind of like a work in progress, but there's a lot of progress being made. I will say this the record is called 2020, so it's going to have to come out within the next 12 months or it's going to be uh, irrelevant at that point. Very good point right there. And Fozzie, for somebody who sees them live, it's very interesting that the band, now almost every song that you play was a single or a special featured release in some form. When did you realize that, that you were a single-driven band and that it was no longer, hey, I'm Chris Jericho and this is a band? Well, it was never about that. Um, we never promoted it that way. We never thought of it that way. I knew that would be a short-lived thing if it was Chris Jericho's band, Mary Man, you know, um, unless it's a Christmas single, of course. So um, I think probably when we kind of decided to uh, go full-time with Fozzie in um, 2010, that's when it really went full force. And, you know, like I mentioned, No Order Run is our fifth consecutive top 30 single, which is huge for anybody. So I, I'd say that we're doing a, a great job. Um, and that kind of snuck up on me. I never even realized it until No Order Run hit the top 30. And I was like, holy smokes, kind of did some looking through the archives. I was like, that's number five for us. So, um, yeah, like you said, all of our songs have some long-term um, relationship with the fans. So I think it, it's exactly what we wanted to do and where we expected to be. Right from the start, I mean, we, 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 you never start coming along, oh, I hope we suck in the end. You know, it's going to be, we want to be the biggest band in the world. And, uh, you know, how do you do that? Well, radio play is very important in this day and age. And that's something that we discovered over the last few years as well. These people say rock radio is dead. It's not dead. It's very vibrant. It's very important. So um, when you have a presence out there, it makes your band a much bigger entity for sure. And a couple of months ago, you absolutely crossed something off your bucket list by opening up for Iron Maiden. Was the experience everything that you'd hoped it'd be and more? To get the opportunity to open for Iron Maiden in a stadium like that, I mean, it's still so that we were even offered that opportunity, but it was a great, great experience. I mean, you know, it's an Iron Maiden crowd, it's LA, so you never know what you're going to get. And standing on stage in a stadium, you know, you can't really hear anything. Uh, watching it back afterwards, the crowd was going crazy for it. So I think we did a great job in, in doing what we were supposed to do, which is warm up 25,000 people to see Iron Maiden. And when it was done, I was like, wow, like, can we do that again? You know, can we get more of these? So I'm, I'm still not sure why we got it. Um, hopefully they liked it enough to offer it to us again. And if they don't, it's still one of those things. You can always see the name Fozzie on the poster with Iron Maiden. And it was a good 10 months buildup. I think they asked us in November of last year and the gig was September of this year. So it was a great kind of 10 months of anticipation waiting for this huge gig that turned out to be uh, everything we wanted it to be. Well, that ties with something that I've always been intrigued about with you. And that's your ability to keep secrets and not let things out way before they're going to happen. How were you able to do that? Do you have really close people you confide in or do you just write everything down? Um, I don't know. I mean, uh, there's certain things that I think in this day and age with the instant gratification of social media um, that people just expect to know everything the moment that it happens or the moment that, it, it, that the idea germinates. And I, I don't find that that's a, great, a good way for fans to think. I think I like it when people do things, explain things, release things, uh, reveal things in the order that they're supposed to be seen. It's like people that spoil a movie. I don't want to know the end of the movie before I see it. I want it to unfold the way that the director and the writers and the actors 
want it to unfold so that it makes, you know, it makes sense and they can really enjoy it. So I don't like to reveal a lot of stuff, even things that probably isn't a big deal for people to know. I still try and keep things as close to the vest as I can because I think it's just better for fans that way to kind of have a little bit of anticipation, a little bit of suspense in what and when things are going on with their favorite bands, their favorite performers, actors, wrestlers, whatever it may be. As we speak right now, we're about a month and a half away from the second Rock and Wrestling Rager, and not a lot has been announced in terms of the onboard entertainment. We know who is going to be on it, but we don't know the structure. Is that going to be something that's a surprise for people when they get on board, or do you plan on announcing all that like a week or so out? No, I mean, we have it all kind of planned out right now. So, um, you know, it, it's sold, it's a sold-out cruise, so it has been for the last four months, and I think that's one of the reasons why we didn't about putting activities together and getting them released, because it's sold out. It's not going to make a difference in ticket sales or cabin sales because we've already got that. So, But when you're looking at, you know, the fact we just announced that AEW is doing a TV taping from the cruise, and we've announced the talk is Jericho's with, with Flair and with the Guerrero family and with the NWO and with Jake the Snakes, so you know, you're going to get that. We've announced the bands, you know, that's going to happen. And we're kind of going through, you know, the different activities, but, but basically the lion's share of what you're going to see is pretty much out there. It's not the exact schedule yet, but we're, we're working on, the, on that. But everything that you see on ChrisJerichoCruise.com, you know, you're going to be, you're going to be experiencing. So um, as far as the actual, you know, the, the real detailed things, we're coming to the point where, where we're about to announce those because we've been working on all of them. But um, suffice it to say, it's going to be just as much fun as, as last year, if not more so. You happily explained that being on the Kiss Cruise is part of the inspiration for how your cruise came about. And I noticed that Corey Taylor and Slipknot recently announced their own cruise. Do you feel proud that you kind of inspired that one? I, yeah, I mean, I think so. I mean, I had heard that Corey wasn't a big fan of cruises, but last year we had the cherry bombs on that had his girlfriend, now his wife, uh, Alicia Dove on it. And I was like, dude, like you can't let her go on a cruise by herself. You need a vacation. You want to come on and do an acoustic set. And I didn't know if you wanted to pay him, but it's a free vacation. Right. So that's kind of what he agreed to do. And he played one solo set, uh, just acoustically. And it was a blast. And I think maybe he saw the vibe and, and the, uh, it's the same thing that we notice on the Kiss Cruise. There's a very much a sense of community um, between people that have been going on the cruise for you know two, three, four, five, six years in a row, and they come back to see their friends every year. And that's what I wanted to establish with with the Rock and Wrestling Rager, an, an annual destination vacation where you know it's going to be great, no matter who's on it. And I think maybe Corey experienced that as well, which is why. Um, maybe one of the reasons why he decided to do not fest. I mean, either way, I'm glad that he's doing it. Although that's going to be a lot of much crazier audience than, than our cruise. I'm sure. Uh, hopefully the boat doesn't, <laughs> doesn't sink in the Harbor before they even take off. I, I, I do take pride in the fact that Corey is doing a cruise. I take pride in the fact that people are saying it's the best vacation they've ever had. And I take pride in the fact that we sold out, uh, you know, with four months to spare because people were so excited about this one. And the people that didn't go last year had such a case of FOMO they didn't want to be left behind again. 
people have been reading your books, and I believe that there's been four of them, know that you're a goal-oriented person that doesn't take no for an answer. And kind of all the goals that you put out there as a kid that you want to accomplish, that you want to be a wrestler, that you want to be a musician, that you were especially inspired by Johnny Carson, I think that we can apply that to your podcast. All that you basically have accomplished. I'm curious where you go from here. Do you still have all these goals that you're looking towards that you one day still want to accomplish? Or are you kind of happy where you are and just want to grow what you're doing? You know, I mean, it's one of those things when I was a kid, I all the time, I wanted to be in a rock band and I wanted to be a wrestler. Those are my two goals. And once those two things came true, then suddenly I'm, I'm dangerous because anything that I want to try, I'll try it. There's a pretty good chance it'll be successful. So, um, what are my other goals? I don't really know, but I do know that I'm excited to continue to build the brand that I've started and things that come across my proverbial desk that are interesting. I'll have no problems trying those as well. So, um, I think at this point in time, people that are, are fans and friends of Chris Jericho know that anything I do it comes from the right place. It's never a money grab. It's never something that I'm doing because I'm forced to do it. I do the things that interest me. I do the things that creatively stimulate me, and I do the things that I feel that my fan base will enjoy because uh, I think a lot of them live vicariously through what Chris Jericho does. Uh, so it's my job. I know I do with some of my favorite bands and performers. So I think it's my job to continue to do interesting things that people will enjoy and be, uh, be excited and proud to be a part of. And one of those latest projects is Web is Jericho. Is that going as you hoped it would? Yeah, I mean, that's kind of one of those ones that uh, a, a friend of mine who was doing the Jericho website, and the Fozzie website, had the idea. So I kind of signed off on it, and I monitor it, but um, it's, not, it's not anything that I really have a lot of say in, um, but I do have kind of the overall control of it. So, and that's the thing too: work with people that you trust, and work with people that are good at what they do, and um, that aren't going to, uh, you know, blemish the record of, of who and what Chris Jericho stands for. So, I like the concept of it. Um, it's kind of an ancillary project for me. And um, so far, so good. We'll see where it takes me in the, in the future. So Chris Jericho is a delegator. That's what I'm hearing. In certain ways. I mean, that's one thing I've learned over the years. You can't be in charge of everything. And if you're talking about Weber Jericho, in my list of things to, to do and worry about, it's, you know, number 90 in the list of 100. So sure. I don't have a lot of time to spend on it, but I still like the concept of it. I like the idea of it. So in that case, yes, a delegator. If you're talking about Fozzie or... or uh, or you know, it was a new business or business. Not as much of a delegate on those because those are the kind of the, the ships that I'm steering pretty much by myself. Right. So, in closing, Chris, any last words for the kids? If you want to uh, do something, it's it's like I wrote in my book. Uh, I wrote in uh, um, "No" is a four-letter word. Don't let people tell you that you can't do something. If you want to do it, go make it happen. Because um, people that tell you they can't do it are ones that have probably failed at their own pursuits. So. Don't listen to negativity. Just follow your heart. And if you really think you you can do something, if you and if you're good at it, then then go for it. Don't don't uh, don't take no for an answer when it comes to to your career goals and your life goals. Thanks for listening to the Paltrowcast with Darren Paltrowitz on the Pure Grain Audio Network. More information on the Paltrowcast can be found online at www.puregrainaudio.com. Until next time, have a great Shabbos. Mm-hmm.